Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Alan Marston is a successful corporate executive heading up departments in business development, sales, marketing, and human resources. As a serial entrepreneur, Alan has over 18 years experience in the technology startup space and was the CEO of his own Silicon Valley company. Currently founder of Zenoshi.io, Alan is building a universal rewards card program on the blockchain. Join Alan Marston as he has a conversation with Delta T President Sean Rook. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. I'm here today with Sean Rook, who is the president of Delta T. Uh, Sean, how long have you been at Delta T? I've been at Delta T for uh, 21 years. Uh, I'm a longtime employee here, uh, having moved from the initial days of trying to be a simple little tech designer through to now running and operating the company. Great, great. And uh, tell me a little bit about your story. I mean, our audience will want to know where you've come from. What have you been doing? What's your journey been like here? I've, I have a, an interesting journey of sorts. I'm originally born uh, Manitoban. I came from Winnipeg, uh, grew up in a small town uh, outside of Winnipeg. And uh, we had a pretty unique situation there, especially when I got to the high school level of education. Uh, we had a, a program that was an option in electronics. And c- technology had always fascinated me. Computers were just starting to come out, the personal computer thing. We never quite were uh, well enough off, I suppose, to afford a computer of those days. But I had family that had, and I had some influences from family members uh, on my dad's side that were engineers as well. And so the combination of that, being interested in technology, um, having Lego sets and building Lego constructions uh, of various types that my mom could tell you crazy stories about, um, all of that was clearly the kind of thing that I was interested in. I love math. I love the sciences. And so when I got to high school, it was really neat to find out that there was this course about electronics. And it, it caught in my interest enough that I took it all three years. And it really laid the foundation for coming into the technology side of design and how things were made and how things operated when you got down to circuit board level. So I came out to Calgary and uh, went to school here at DeVry University. That's where I started in my tech training. And it was a, a choice over other university choices that I had you know, good enough grades to be involved in. Because it was a hands-on type program. I love the concept of doing it. It was a three-year uh, full-time program. We had very little break in the summer. Uh, and it wound up being a, a very good and wound up being exactly the way I expected where you got hands-on type of opportunities right from day one. And it really taught me a lot about how things were put together, how electronics worked as a combined circuit, um, how I could apply that. So then when it was time for graduation, I was looking for an opportunity to get into that world of design of electronics and, and making systems that ran on all these things. Hardware being certainly along or, or what I liked a lot more. Uh, software being some I, I understood, but I was no by no means a hardcore programmer or anything like that. So, And that's what found me uh, the walls within here in Delta T. That's what found me uh, where I am today, really. Excellent. So uh, uh, one of the things we were talking about before we actually started this podcast was you are not an entrepreneur, really. Do not consider yourself an entrepreneur, but 
you get to work with a lot of entrepreneurs that come through here. That is uh, no understatement. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it started from the time of coming out of, of post-secondary, they're looking for a job. Okay, I just want to find a job. I just want to make a paycheck. I, I want to find a place I'd like to work, right? And I can honestly say 21 years later, I, I've been with Delta T since I came out of post-secondary. And what I learned from that was two things. Uh, I worked with a guy here uh, that many people know, and Gary Gunthorpe, that is the consummate entrepreneur. He he has always been a guy that loved doing that. And perhaps because of that, because he was the guy that loved that, I didn't need to be that guy, at least not in the early days. But more importantly, what drew the inspiration for me was as I started getting involved with meeting with clients, new potential clients for project work that Delta T could do, you could clearly see they were those types as well because that's what it takes often to drive an idea for creating a product or a good and turning it into a, a real company, a real product that sells out in the marketplace. So I decided maybe a long time ago when I really think about it that I wanted to be the guy that supports those people. I love the idea of engineering new products and creating up uh, crazy things that some people would never even dream of. And yet these people did. These people loved doing that. That's what was their passion. That's what fueled their, their drive. And that's awesome because that fuels me with energy to create something for them that gets the job done, that gives them an idea of turning that into a, a realized dream. Uh, and that, that's, that's, that's my kind of passion. I love helping people. And so I've decided, yeah, could I be the guy that goes out and tries something? And I'm like, sure, I've come up with ideas for products on my own. Sure, I've thought of a few things, but... I think I'll leave to the guys that want to chase that a little more than I do. <laughs> right. I'll just help make them. That's fine with me. <laughs> and that's, a, a, I mean, one of the things that I know as a, as a serial entrepreneur myself is uh, entrepreneurs typically, not all of them, but typically are terrible at managing, uh, you know, from start to finish. Uh, I, I've been a very good starter and a terrible finisher. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and uh, getting a, somebody that can manage that process is very good. Do you also evaluate the the projects that are coming in or do you leave that to somebody else and then you just manage them once they've come in? We, we usually approach that in a bit of a team effort. Uh, I've been doing that with Gary in tow many times. I think he's been teaching me the ropes of that for probably the last, oh, four, five, six years. I've been involved in a lot of those initial discussions. Um, and, and the way we treat it here is, is the kind of if we need somebody technical on the electronic side, we have them in the room along with us. Sometimes it's initial meet and greet. Sometimes it's having just the conversation. What's your crazy idea? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go with this? Because that's what you need to understand from entrepreneurs in the first go. It's never about almost never it's never about the drive it's never about the fact that they don't want to do this they they're here because they want to do that it's the and it's usually not a question of can it technically be done it's a question of do i have all the items in place that i should think about to get into the process of creating a product that's where we come in that's that's the initial discussion that we like to have with people our job is in part especially on the front end to be devil's advocate we're here to ask the hard questions sometimes. We're here to ask, have you thought about this? Do you know about that? I, I understand what you're trying to make. You know, Technically speaking, we understand often what the end project needs to be. But why should it be this, right? The whys, answering the whys, the hows. Um, because if you, don't, if you don't have a good basis on what you're trying to achieve, but you've got the passion, that's perfect. You can go get those questions answered. You can find you know, some of the questions like, what, what's the market going to look like? And a lot of people may come to us and think, well, that's, you know, I mean, you, I'm here to have you guys build this thing for me. 
you're absolutely right. That that's what we do. But what we learned in 41 years is the value we can add for people is to help explain to them, here's the pitfalls we've seen people go through. Here's the steps you should think about not skipping to make sure you have a good chance as a successful, viable, marketable product. And for us, that's, that's important. We would feel incorrect about taking on a job for the sake of, yeah, I'll take on your job. I can engineer your job. I'll charge you X, Y, Z to do this when we would feel that they might not have much of a chance with it, right? The goal for most of the people that come to us is to create a company and or a product around that gets sold by said company for profit. And and while we've done the odd nonprofit bit of work as well, the key things we have to explain to people are for making marketable product. At the end of the day, I can conceive and we can create a ton of different things, but there's no point if you can't find a way to make sure you can get it to market successfully. So what's your favorite uh, uh, project that's come in the door in the, in the 21 years you've been here? Oh, my goodness. There's been a lot. Uh, I mean, and, and I mean, if I count even more of the things that we didn't do or the jobs that started but really didn't go anywhere for various different reasons. There, I could tell you, the story, with a lot of what we're changing in our approach of talking to people is relating it to stories we've seen, right? Um, for me, uh, in the years, I've seen quite a few. I, I was here in 97 and up to now. And I can honestly say one of our favorite projects, I, I, I think, I'm a, I have a bit of a sucker being an agricultural kid for far, agricultural based products. And we've done quite a bit of that. We've had a long term client in that market. And I've enjoyed working on those because I, have a, I can relate to the marketplace. I can understand that marketplace directly a lot more because I grew up around it. I wasn't a farmer's kid directly, but my mother was. And that was one thing that I learned a long time ago was about the nature, nature of technology in agriculture and how helpful that could be. The other side of it, though, I would say from a favorite perspective, um, is a current project. We've started it about four years ago, and it's a device for helping people make sure that they uh, don't have a fire come out on their stove because they've left it on. Uh, so it's an automatic shutoff device for stoves so that if you've left your cooking unattended for a certain period of time when you shouldn't have, or maybe you left the house, <laughs> or maybe you've done something silly like go watch a television show and forget that you left something cooking, it will shut your stove off to safely make sure that you can't uh, have a possibility of creating a fire on your stove. I found that fascinating. When I came in here, and by the way, I know the first time I came in here, uh, you've almost got a little museum as you walk in because you've got all these uh, hardware projects that you've done over the years. Uh, and uh, when I saw this stove project, I just went, man, this is something that I need to have personally. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back home because my wife thought we left the stove on, right? <laughs> and and uh, this this particular product uh, would solve that problem. You your, know, your comment is is very common, Alan. Uh, it's actually one of the most remarked things people do when we tell them about that, and, and it's because we've all done it. I think. I think it's because we can all relate to a time when we've probably done that. And and hopefully for most, it's not resulted in catastrophe, but uh, the potential is there. Uh, and what, what we've noticed with this product in particular is that it was geared one way, at least in the initial mindset for where the marketplace was at. And that was in the uh, aging in place type market, right? So you're getting older, you're still in living independently, you're still cooking for yourself. And here we are with a product that will at least give you some peace of mind and maybe your sons or your daughters some peace of mind that you're still okay. You're maybe not having some mental lapses. You're maybe not having any problems that would stop you from being able to live still independently and cook for yourself. 
and what it's turned into is is that much more. And that's that's another thing I think why we love the product so much. Yes, it helps people. I love the idea of helping people. But it also comes to a point where you go, there's more use that people have identified. For example, the data that gets collected with regards to this, it's a motion sensor-based device. It watches for just somebody being present in the kitchen. And that's all it's really reading. But the idea that you may be able to use that to track behavior insofar as are you cooking at a 2 a.m. in the morning and, and why? You know, is somebody doing some weird activity or are they not cooking? Are they not coming in using the stove and they're, of course, at home? What's going on? Has something changed? Are they sick? Are they having a problem where they're not feeding themselves? The the data that's come out, especially at the facility level of use, where, where our clients had some successful sales into facilities, they most definitely have a big, big benefit for those guys to help create a almost a machine learning type situation where they can go, yeah, we're getting trends here. We're seeing responses. We can start to identify when maybe people are starting to have problems and, and additional level of care may be needed. Or just simply that it's telling people something's going on. Just the presence of mind that, yeah, they're definitely going to the kitchen. That's that's good to know. Some, some peace of mind one way or another where it's making sure you didn't burn down the house or you just are doing normal things. And that was not even the full vision of this product and it's turned it into being that much of a valuable device because of those things. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you you picked that project uh, and you guys have got a lot of products and a lot of projects that you've done over the over the years that you're currently even involved in. That's true. Uh, I mean, uh, I we tell people, and this is probably not too much of a like, stretch, that in 41 years of the company's existence, we've probably put at least one help put a product in at least in any industry you can think of and it it stretches vastly i mean oil and gas being common around here agriculture of course as well uh but healthcare and and related devices supporting that consumer grade products like this stove product um the uh telecommunication sector was hotter of course when nortel and the likes of them were still here uh, we did some work in that sector um aerial borne surveying for the mining industry for looking for uranium for looking for other products like that uh, guidance systems using the early days especially of gps in one of the agricultural products for helping tractors drive in straight lines down fields where when you're doing certain activities you can tell that you're driving a straight line like swathing like cutting crop you're cutting crop you can see where you've been but when you're seeding in the start of the season well that's just a bunch of earth that you're planting seeds in or fertilizing in where have you been you can only guess so much so they were that was a vast improvement of the days of trying to visually just eyeball it as you went up and down fields. So, yeah, and that's just in my time. That's Those are the projects that have come through in my time. And then we've gone back even further than that. And we've seen the challenges of up and down cycles for you know commodity type markets like the oil and gas sector and agriculture. And what we've noticed is people tend to find themselves needing those kind of technological innovations, getting into making projects, especially when times are tougher um, because they have time to think about it, right? When you're busy producing, producing and making good money, producing whatever that may be, you are happy. You don't need to worry about too many things because everything's going well. It's when things don't that people start to realize, you know what, maybe it's time for doing something a little more innovative, diversifying, getting into cases where we can support each other with a group that will all think like-minded to spread out and look for other solutions and expand upon things so you're not you know a one-trick pony as it were right something along those lines 
And so, yeah, one thing we've definitely been branching out to a little bit more to is getting out into, into the public. I mean, we always are out at uh, networking events to try and find, of course, new opportunities. People find us often just by word of mouth, uh, web searches, of course, and things like that as well, because there's never a shortage, which is a good thing, I think, of people with product ideas. Whether they all have merit is a different matter, but most importantly, come out and having a chat to figure out what it takes, what you should think about, where you could go with this. And giving those people those tools turns us into finding that we'll have people come back to us, even if we've not done a project with them before, but we've had that initial conversation and they've figured a lot more things out. They've rounded their their scope and they've got a better idea of things that they'll need to do to be successful. And that makes for successful projects a lot more often. Right, right. Uh, that's a great segue, by the way, into what I wanted to ask you next. Because you <laughs> talked about networking, you've talked about diversification, you talked about innovation, uh, and uh, it's a lot of the stuff that this movement called the Rainforest is doing here, the Rainforest Alberta, uh, both in Edmonton and Calgary. Now, I know you've been out to their lunch without lunch on Wednesdays. Uh, What's your thoughts on Rainforest? What, what, what do you think's happening there? What would you like to see come out of there? And of course, what's your, you know, how do you feel you're contributing to, uh, to the Rainforest? One, one thing that really surprised me was uh, Gary, our, our founder, having such a mindset to jump in with both feet with an agency like that or an entity like that. And he's the one that introduced it and introduced me into it. Uh, what I love about it is, it, first and foremost, it was timely. It was, a, it was something that was desperately needed in a city like Calgary that often gets too narrow-minded about where its focus is in, in, in making income and, and, and revenue for our, our province comes from. And that's all well and good when things are great, like I had said. But this is the case is where the timing of it was. We need something. We need to think about things maybe a little bit differently. Times always change, I suppose. And it's not that they haven't faced challenging times before. But it was, what can we do as a group of people in a variety of different industries, but we're all affected by the major industries that are here, one way or another, whether we like it or not. I mean, we've weathered many storms as Delta T, but what do we need to do to be successful as an entirety of a, of a city? Uh, and for me, and in and, and the province to boot for Rainforest Alberta, and, and that's what I loved about this group. It brought together all manner of different professions, all manner out of coming out of different industries, to talk about problems, to figure out innovative solutions, to coordinate and learn who each other really are. We can argue that I might not talk to a, uh, uh, an environmentalist very often in the world, world when I'm working on something for my stove in a, in a house, but it has no bearing on the fact that they still could easily be a source of potential work for us on one hand, but also be a source of what are the problems and concerns people are trying to face out there? What, what kind of solutions are needed? And how can we address these and get them get more focus on those industries to bulk up when we're suffering in some of our major ones? Temporarily, sometimes as it may be, it doesn't change the fact that being a little bit more diversified would make things better for everything, for the economy, for us as, as a bunch of human beings trying to work together in a better way. Because, it, it, like I said, when times are better, you, you tend to ignore, maybe, or you don't focus in because you're busy. Um, when times are worse, you might have time to think about things or you're wanting to figure out where we can get ourselves sorted out. For me, that's what Rainforest was as the initial thing. Where I've really seen the, the growth for me, and I, and I admit readily I've not been out to anywhere near as many meetings as, uh, as Gary and, uh, and some of the others out there. But what I love about it is that 
community feel to it and it, like a grassroots feel. And you can walk in relating to almost anybody, even if you haven't met them. I've had easy, easy, normal conversations. We may even not even talk business at any given moment, and that's okay. And the presenters, the ability to get up there and tell people what you're looking for and what you can offer, I think is a really unique approach. And the where I see Rainforest really benefiting us going forward is you could argue that maybe it was an, it's an agency or a group that would have a chance to do what it needed to do in the tough times, but maybe it might not be needed later. I don't think that's true. I think it's created a different mindset in a good number of people here and across the province about don't ever stop thinking this way. Think about it as always, where can we help each other grow, move around, find other opportunities, and expand on existing opportunities in the sectors that do matter to us most and that are the most prevalent and, and, and revenue generating when they come back too. But let's not forget about everything. Let's try and keep it diversified, thinking about each other and how we can help each other through the tough times and through the good times. So that's what I really love about Rainforest is that idea of community. It's the idea that you are refreshing, revitalizing, and the concept of the Rainforest goes, that you're uh, entering into a social contract for good right? The, a, lot, a lot along the lines of what they stand for. That's what I love about this. And that, that they've taken it from an area that's close to our heart as a technological-based company coming out of the Silicon Valley idea and how it worked down there. Why can't it work in other places? And it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I also noticed that uh, you are, uh, in your spare time, you, uh, you you like to play with robotics. And uh, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, what I've never even heard of the first Robotics Society uh, tech challenge. And what can you tell us about that? Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> I, I say that because I get really passionate about talking about this. You know how it goes when you have an extracurricular activity you love doing. Right. I, I joined up my uncle had a uh, interest in this because my cousin, and not his son, but one of my other uncle's sons, originally worked with Microsoft. He retired at 50 years old. Very, very smart guy. Lots of patents involved in doing some of the things in the early days of Microsoft. So he, he, he's well known in those circles. But he got involved with First Robotics. First Robotics is now a 30-year-old society based out of the U.S. originally. And their mo mandate and their motive is through robotics, uh, skill-based competitions, you're teaching the STEM idea, you know, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics and driving people into those careers and into those uh, educational uh, movements because there's often been an underrepresentation, depending on the generations, depending on it. There's often been underrepresentation, of course, in gender, right? Male, males have been or quite predominant in our industry for a long, long time, but females have really been promoted to jump into that. And it's been changing, and it's been changing in a good way. So for me, what really, of course, interests me, number one is robotics. It combines a combination of things we do around here all the time, me mechatronics and mechanics and electronics. It's all combined into one final solution to go and then compete with. And the, what the other thing really appealed to me is the approach First Robotics takes. The Tech Challenge is a, group, uh, a grouping of grade 7 to grade 12 aged children. So it's quite a broad-based uh, particular category. They have four levels of competition. They start from kindergarten, in fact. Kindergarten, grade 3 is your Lego junior. Grade 4 to grade 6 is your Lego uh, base once they build it as it suggests out of Lego things and it's a little less hardcore programming and starting from scratch and but still learning still learning to on the concept of how robotics do what they do and how they're built 
And starting in the tech challenge, the FTC side of things, you've got the chance to build your robot from scratch using a kit of parts that's provided. Uh, it is a, a fairly low cost opportunity. Um, there's a little bit of cost on the initial investment when you start in. But what's amazing about the program really is the kids starting from that age level are jumping in hands on, literally building a robot from scratch, taking mechanical pieces, bolting them together, figuring out how you're going to move, figuring out how you're going to power it, figuring out how you're going to drive things with motors and servos. Um, all these bits and pieces take me back to the concept of the Lego that I dealt with back in the when I was a child and that I loved so much and blew it out of the water. Uh, and, and that's what's amazing about this competition. And on the personal side of things is my uncle was involved in um, helping in the Syrian refugee communi uh, community. And so what he did, having learned about a, a, a two or three years ago, a Syrian group on a worldwide-based robotics competition, uh, unrelated to FIRST, but in a similar manner, had won that year. And so he thought that was a really neat approach to the fact that we've got, of course, quite a lot of the Syrian refugees that have come to Canada in the last few years. And that there's got to be kids of the appropriate age that would be interested in something like this. Clearly, they've got fellow countrymen from their original Syria that had done really well long before the wars had started, thankfully, but, and they had found a way to do this, and they'd been successful. We'll see what we can find out there that a group of kids that might be interested. So he reached out, and that's that's who we were mostly comprised. We have five Syrian refugee children that have been in Canada two um, approaching three years. They're learning English better. They're in schools here. They're learning, uh, of course, Canadian ways of life, including winters, <laughs> including summers, right? And they're learning. Most importantly, it gives them an outlet. I mean, they're interested in sports, like any you know high schooler and junior high type kids often are. But they're interested in other things. And here's a chance to take some of what they learned in school and their math and their science courses and putting it into a practical actual robot there it is it's driving around and i'm doing that and i've programmed it to do things so we've been in competition now we just finished our competition last uh, saturday sunday for our second season and we finished 12th this year we were really happy about that and we like to take away from that that there's always chances to do improve keep learning adding new features and every year they have a different theme uh every season's a different theme so the goals that you have to create and work on are different what was really neat about this season something that talked to me a little bit when i loved the theme was that it's the 50th anniversary of the uh, apollo moon landing this year in july and so they themed it based on space right and so we had to uh, land our robot from hanging in the air onto the ground. We had to drive around and collect minerals and we had to deposit them in certain areas. And then at the end of the game, we had to hang ourselves back on the moon lander. So in the theory that we could take off again. And it was a really neat combination of things to have a robot do that was different than last year. So the kids had to do some new learning and they had to figure out new things that they didn't know. And, and, and what's the most interesting thing for me in watching them do what they do and compete and perform is I can say with quite honesty, they've grown from last year and having learning, being more mature, of course, they're teenagers at the end of the day, so they still have things that distract them and they want to do in their phones and their electronics. <laughs> but they also learned to present. That's part of the, the competition is to present in front of judges, your team and what you've learned this year and what you did to build your robot this year. And so they're accountable and they're teaching them to get in front of people and talk. And when English is your second language, it's a challenge, right? Last year, they really had an eye-opener on the fact that people genuinely want to know what they're up to. They're a unique uh, group of people coming from the circumstances that they did. 
and having to learn. And the good part is that we had a couple of kids on the team that were are Canadian. They, they were born here and they had uh, helped them with the English aspect. And they also helped them understand some of the nuances of living Canadian life. And for all of those things combined, it's been really rewarding for me to have a team of kids that have loved doing what they're doing. The question that they always ask, they ask too, and I think everybody we bring this up to is, so is this robots that smash and crash and bash each other? Uh, no, no, actually you have to do some finesse. You have to do some skill. You have to teach those things to do a lot more than just beat each other up, you know? Right. <laughs> and the first reaction to that was, ah, you know, but then they said, oh, this could be pretty cool too. And from going to the competitions, they realized that it's an exciting place. And what I love most about the program is they have a motto. One, they have two models, but the most important one to me is being uh, gracious professionalism. The idea that you're all competitors, you're at a competition, you are trying to win, but you're gracious about it. What amazed me, I watched it happen last year and watched it happen this year again in our final, was the fact that teams will bend over backwards helping another team where something's gone horribly wrong. A part fell off or their software is not working suddenly when it was working all the way up to this point and now you're at the big finals and oh my God, what am I going to do? And here we are with kids jumping in going, I'll help you with that or I my controller completely stopped working on me. I got a spare. Here, I'll lend you one, right? And you cannot have a better environment for teaching values than something like that. And, and, and at the same time, you're having fun, you're playing with robots. So you get to do the kind of things and life, good life lessons are being learned. Very rewarding. And, and it's, it's great when you see the kids take that upon themselves to then help somebody else that's helped them. To what level, uh, I mean, you're talking about these kids, to what level are they, are they uh, going up to? Is it uh, going up to high school? That kind of thing. The the pro so with us in our program at FTC, it will go right up and through grade twelve. So we have one girl who is in grade twelve this year. So she'll be graduating. She'll be officially an alumni of the FTC program at that point. But what they strongly encourage too, never mind just going into the STEM type career. She's looking to go be a dentist, for example, which is excellent. Um, what was really uh, invigorating for me though is that they really tout on the alumni of these first various levels to, hey, come on back and help us out as a volunteer or help mentor a new team of your own, right? Um, it's As a mentor of the team, uh, I'm the electronics type guy and my, my good friend Mark is the guy that's helping us with our mechanical side. It's, it's been great for us because we're technically trained. You don't have to be. First, definitely has a program there that really inspires you to join as a volunteer or as a mentor just to guide the kids because I'll be honest, half to three quarters of what we did there was guide the kids on how to be a team, how to hold meetings, how to talk to people, how to organize a project, which is what you're building, right? Which I have a lot of familiarity with. And that was the easy part for me, but it was an important part. And the kids were like, I want to do this. I want to jump right in. Oh, well, yeah, but do you understand what you're doing before you do it? Some of that has to be happening. And I know you've learned some stuff in your junior high and high school level stuff. Our gamut of ages in our team range from, uh, I think we're at 13 up to the 17 year, almost 18 year old in grade 12, anywhere in between there. And so you get people at different levels, some still in junior high, some still in high school. And socially, of course, they get to interact. Socially, they get to learn from each other. And they're in a common thing. So they can relate to each other. So there's a number of skills they're learning that can be transferred into any industry, whether they're becoming a dental hygienist or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Uh, is there an opportunity for uh, them to move into, in Calgary or in, in Alberta, for them to move into 
a robotics industry? Is that a thriving industry here? Is it an industry that has opportunities or is that something that's got to develop still? I, I would say there's room to develop that still. And by no means am I the expert of every company that's out there potentially using robotics. Robotics traditionally have been something that uh, are often involved in automation, right? Factory level production automation systems, but that's still robotics. And so you could argue the point that the factory type entities that are here uh, and around Alberta would, would certainly be something that they could transfer that experience on and have some interest in. Uh, do I see all of them ever going into that sector? Not necessarily, but that's because in some cases, especially for the ones in grade 11 and 12, they've started to think about where they wanted to go. She had conceived that she wanted to go into dentistry in the one case. But that being said, I think there's certainly opportunities and why I think it's not, it doesn't have to be, of course, just robotics. Really, the, the concepts that you're learning here are to drive people into the idea, like robotics is a perfect example of engineering. So it would be driving people into engineering careers. We always have a need for that in Alberta. There's always different and in different disciplines for sure. And to me, you the nice part about robotics is it covers at least two of them in the electrical electronic side and in the mechanical side. I've known of, and we have a summer student coming in for, to join us this year, coming out of Waterloo, in fact, who is a Calgarian originally. She went to Waterloo for school, and her degree uh, program is in engineering and mechatronics. So they've combined it to start to focus people in the idea of robotics and mechatronics. That used to be mechanical or electrical. Now they're realizing that the combination of skills from both of those disciplines have a lot more practical and maybe immediate application, right? And that's really exciting to see because that's why I see that first program having even that much more benefit for the kids that want to jump into that sector. And that, that lends itself well to everybody doing the combination of those things. Certainly, a lot of the things I think we've done as products would have been in the uh, category you might classify as mechatronics. So. Last question. Uh, how does robotics, I, I imagine it fits in beautifully at Delta T, but ro robotics automation, how have you been able to use, obviously you're extremely passionate, I can see that, <laughs> and, and you could do a whole podcast probably just on robotics. Fair comment, yeah. Yeah, but uh, how is it, uh, is it helping you uh, here at, at Delta T as well? What I what I can take away from mentoring in the first program, for myself personally, uh, and the odd time I've had the guys help me with this or that, or uh, have them come in to talk to the kids to uh, offer some insight on an area that I may be weaker in, but for me, in fairness, as a president running a company, doing a lot more administrative business uh, strategy thinking and forward thinking to worry about our future and what we're going to do as a company, I've moved away from a lot of the day-to-day -day playing technical, even though my background it still is. And yet, I don't ever want to lose that. I mean, first of all and foremost, it helps us to have a background to talk about the work that we need to do for people here. But secondly, I love what I've always loved it, right? I've always loved that robotics have always been of interest to me. And so for me, what it is, is almost like a refresher course talking about things and reminding myself, oh yeah, I remember how to do that. And here I can impart that on the kids because the kids are learning. And so they don't need to know the nth degree of every detail, but they need to understand why you should definitely turn the power off before you go to start pulling wires or changing something on the robot because of X, Y, Z. You should definitely keep an eye out on when you're programming this thing, make sure that you've saved it, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't sound like it's a lot of complicated technical information, 
but it's process and procedural. It's the things we've learned building projects for people that sometimes are the simplest things to know, but the easiest things to forget. And then it's also, like I said, for me personally, it's reminding myself, oh yeah, that's why that might not be working. Or here's how to do troubleshooting. Troubleshooting being one of the biggest things we've learned in building a robot is the building aspects straightforward enough, putting screws and bolts together, creating a chassis, making it look like a certain way, having certain features like we've all agreed to build on. But what happens when you start to try and use it? The answers are it almost always needs something to be troubleshot. There's things you're going to find that you thought would work and through a little bit of trial and error, you just realized it's not going to. We're going to have to change something. And so that, that for me, it's been great to teach project management. It's been great to refresh my knowledge of the electronic side of things and working with my tandem uh, mentor to get in on the mechanical. I've learned mechanical things that would I say I've been a mechanically inclined individual, not as many as certainly I have in other employees here, but it's taught me some things to, that I needed to learn and that I was really happy to learn because of, oh yeah, that's how that works. I mean, I'm technical enough to understand it, but I'm also like, yeah, I never really thought about that before. Well, that's, hey, you learn something new every day, right? So that, that's been the rewarding part for sure. Yeah. That's great. Well, listen, it's been very, very, very interesting talking to you. I mean, this whole thing on robotics, on automation, on what you guys do at Delta T has uh, definitely been interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing you more often at Rainforest. Absolutely. I think, I think there's the Rainforest uh, movement and the uh, grassroots organization that we have could certainly use uh, some of your... Uh, mentorship, advice, uh, the connection with you. I know when somebody's got an idea, being able to talk to you about. Right. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks, Alan. It's been a real pleasure. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This podcast was made possible by a generous contribution from Zinc Ventures and is hosted by volunteers from Rainforest Alberta. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>